go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispy from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy only at McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because. Oh, my charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Hello, and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamila Jamel, a podcast that really hopes to just kick shame right in the dick. Um, now, I I really hope you're ready because today's episode is so powerful. It's so powerful that after I had this chat this week, I couldn't go to sleep afterwards because I couldn't stop thinking about it. So maybe it's not a late night listen because you might be too inspired and just jacked up on adrenaline and hope to fall asleep. It she Oh, God. It's Evan Rachel Wood. Evan Rachel Wood is my guest. She's not only a phenomenal talent in our generation and an actor of some of the best projects that I've ever seen, but she's one of the most unbelievable human beings that I've had the privilege of chatting to. What this young woman has been through from such an early age and what she has turned that into in order to protect and give hope to people in the future so they don't have to go through what she has gone through. My good God. May we all be lucky enough to know an Evan Rachel Wood in our lives, never mind be one. This is a really special episode. It's not an easy lesson if you are someone who uh, still struggles with hearing anything about violence and domestic violence. I want to offer that trigger warning and also offer you my deepest condolences and all of my love. Um, Maybe this isn't the right time for you to listen to that, but if you do feel ready... This is a very, very hopeful and beautiful episode. We uh, we don't touch too perfectly on her own experiences. Uh, some of you may know that Evan came out publicly speaking about her experience in a relationship with Marilyn Manson, as the artist's name that you might be more familiar with than his real name. And she came out publicly and Evan has taken all of this pain and my God, the brave act of coming out against a very, very powerful man in this industry. She has taken all of that and used it to alter legislation in the United States and start discussing legislation worldwide as well and raising awareness about the nuances of the system, how much the system fails uh, victims of domestic abuse and violence and and all of these things like coercive abuse and coercive control. Even in this episode, she teaches me so much about things that I've never been able to place uh, a word for the meaning on. Uh, it's just so educative and she's so knowledgeable and she really understands the, the layers of what she's talking about. She understands the hierarchy and the statistics that show that it is far more prevalent domestic violence in communities of colour. There are so many things that she can just illuminate you on and help you learn how to not only perhaps find your way through this if this is something that you are going through but also maybe how to support others because it's hard to know what to do 
in these situations. And so we touch on all of these things. We touch on the meaningful work that she's doing. We discuss her new documentary, Phoenix Rising, which discusses her legislative achievements with the Phoenix Act. And we talk about life after abuse, the recovery process. And she's now a happy mum in a loving relationship who doesn't claim to be perfectly recovered, but speaks very candidly about that journey and how she's kind of un peeled and unpicked all of that to become the best version of herself, the strongest version of herself she can be so that her kids grow up with the role model she wants to be and the role model she needed when she was young. It's super candid. It's really fucking beautiful. She's so smart and cool. I'm, I don't know if I'm ever going to stop thinking about this episode. I really hope you enjoy it. I would love to hear your thoughts and uh, I sit here deeply humbled by her amazing work. This is the incredible Evan Rachel Wood. Evan, bloody Rachel Wood. Welcome to Iway. How are you? I'm good. Long time no see. Okay, so how, uh, what year did I first interview you? I want to say 2011, late 2011, early 2012, I feel like. Isn't that wild? About 10 years ago, yeah. Yeah, and that was the last time I think we saw each other, right? No, we've seen, we've like grazed each other. Yeah, yeah, brushed, you know, shoulders. We've grazed each other, but I interviewed you when we were both, like I was especially new because you've been doing this longer than I have. But um, but we were both very young and uh, I remember immediately just sort of falling madly in love with you and just thinking, I wish I could be your friend, but I was a journalist and you were really famous, like a world famous actress. And that's just never not a creepy dynamic. So I just thought I'd leave you alone. <laughs> I totally <laughs> fell in love with you too, though. <laughs> I, I remember very vividly. Well, I I truly only became an actor so that I could then have a podcast, so that I could then find a way to interview you. And we all want to actually have podcasts. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's all just been a road to you, um, but it's nice to have you back here now that we're you know we're proper women now. We're all grown <laughs> up. It does feel like that in some ways. We've been through a lot since yeah. that time. Yeah, uh, you especially. And I'm so grateful to have you because I know that um, you already have so much on your plate, not only with your own career, but everything you've been doing in advocacy. And I know that takes a lot out of you. And this is an incredibly sensitive subject for so many people. And for you to come on and be so generous with your time and with your story means the whole world to me. And I'm sure everyone listening. Um, I've been truly waiting to cover this subject only with you for as long as I had to wait because... I'm I'm so inspired. I'm you're one of the people who inspires me most in the world, honestly. And so I'm um yeah, I'm swallowing now because I'm yeah, you know, I'm nervous. <laughs> I'm um, nervous. <laughs> how's your uh how's your mental health been like lately? Lately. Um, you know, I I've had sixteen years on this road of recovering from my past relationship and, and that sort of havoc that it wreaked on my psyche and spirit. Um, so I waited to come forward when I knew that I would be able to handle it mentally, spiritually, 
physically, all of it. Um, and so I, I, I felt ready, but, um, I, I, I still, I think I thought that I could, uh, outthink my emotions. It's one of my, um, favorite things to do is over intellectualize my, my, my feelings to see if I can weasel my way out of feeling them. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, no, it, it never works out. And I, uh, I did have a, you know, a moment after being able to finally speak about things publicly where it all really, uh, hit me. And I had to have a moment where I just, you know, couldn't breathe. Um, but have been through enough at this point in my life that now I have the tools for when I'm confronted with moments like that, I know what to do. And, 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 and I, and I know how to get myself back on track. I know what friends to reach out to. I know how to, you know, regulate my breathing and come back into my body. And, but, you know, those were skills that took years to sort of cultivate and, and get to a place where, you know, I wouldn't just kind of spin out and, and, and totally. hide and just burrow myself away and, and try to escape. Considering everything you've done regarding public advocacy in the years leading up to the pandemic, was the pandemic for you a kind of respite for your brain or was it the opposite? You know, because then you've just achieved so much in 2019 for victims of domestic violence and then suddenly you're left in your house. It it was a weird sequence of events. It was doing the Phoenix Act, I think, was the most challenging mental health wise, because that's when you're taking... Will you just, sorry, will you explain exactly what the Phoenix Act for yes, of course. listeners? So the Phoenix Act is a piece of legislation that I helped co-create, which gives uh, survivors of abuse more time to report a crime. And I think for some people, when they initially hear that, they think, why do you need a bunch of time to report a crime? I mean, clearly, you know, when something bad happens, it shouldn't take you that long to report. But I think uh, what what we're starting to begin to understand is there's many reasons why it would take somebody years, sometimes a lifetime to be able to not only confront the abuse, process what happened, understand it, but also feel safe enough um, and, 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 and ready enough to, to take on, um, you know, uh, a, 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 an investigation or, uh, exposing somebody publicly. It's, it's, it's a lot. Um, so the Phoenix Act sort of is there to create more of a cushion for survivors that need, uh, more time to report and specifically is, I mean, for me specifically important, I think, to stop serial abusers. Um, because in cases like Weinstein and Cosby and R. Kelly, we think, you know, how could, how, how does this go on that long? How are there so many victims? And a lot of times because of the statute of limitations and, um, a lot of perpetrators have gotten very skilled at, uh, getting that statute of limitations to run out, you know, scaring somebody long enough, intimidating somebody long enough until that the clock runs out and they know that you can't do anything. And so mm. certain people have found loopholes to this, to these laws. And so the Phoenix Act is there to strengthen it. It's amazing. And I think a lot of people don't understand what those who've suffered from abuse, but you know, you were talking about safety is that if you have been abused by someone, 
maybe you need to, maybe your life is in danger and you need to move to another state or country or you need to change your fucking name in case they follow you or try to find you, especially if you're going to press charges against them. You want to feel safe and protected. For a lot Mm -hmm. of people, that's not possible um, for a while at least, not to mention all the trauma they have to process. And then also how fucking grueling it must be. You know, I've not been in the system before like that how grueling it must be to have to recount everything to strangers who then treat you with a fair amount of suspicion because you're making a big accusation against someone. And then the chances are you're going to be gaslit and, you know, maybe countersued by the person who, yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're you're nodding because I know, I do know that also happened to you, but like, you know, you're going to be maybe um, legally attacked by the person that you're accusing. There's so much going on and it's not, cheap by any stretch of the imagination these things and so in order to be ready for that you definitely need your time I definitely Mm -hmm. grew up surrounded by a lot of domestic violence within my like family and extended family and so I um I can just I've I've watched countless specifically women not report what happened to them because they were afraid and also these are South Asian women who you know come from a culture that will just disown you if you leave your family yeah. So I think the work you've done is just really like it on a very personal level. It means a lot to me. Good. I'm, I'm glad. Yeah. There's, I mean, as you were saying, there's, uh, it, domestic violence can affect different communities in different ways. Um, and, and that's something I learned doing the Phoenix Act and seeing how it, 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 it could affect people differently. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, communities that the police are very scary. And it's not really in their, they don't feel like it's in their best interest to call the police or to report, you know, somebody could come to their house and they'd be worried about getting shot. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of factors that come into play. And, and, and there's this misconception of what we see in the movies or whatever that, you know, you call the cops that come and they take the bad guy away. And that it's just very rarely the case. It's a very long grueling process after being involved in a in a large investigation like the one I'm involved in now, I really started to understand why people pull out of investigations and why victims recount their statements and why they go forward and then pull back because, man, it's no joke having to go through the things that have happened to you in excruciating detail, questions you've never been asked, um, and to have to go back there over and over and over again to be publicly gaslit um, you know, on a large scale or even a small scale, it's, it's, it's very, very re-traumatizing. I mean, I sit here knowing I'm not lying, knowing I'm telling the truth, but people make you feel crazy. And so I have to sit there and meditate and, and go through the things that have happened to me and go, did this happen to you? Yes. Did this happen? Yes. Did this happen? Yes. And I go through the details and I replay them in my head just so nobody can take my truth away from me because they try they really really try to break you down so well it's it's an interesting one as well because you know you and I when we spoke on the phone were talking about the fact that of course you have access to certain privileges and the fact that you had you know somewhere to go afterwards and you were able to you know find safety and also like aftercare but Mm -hmm. what's extremely unique about your situation and I think you know there's only a handful of people in the world who can maybe relate is that you weren't just being gaslit by the person that you were accusing or, you know, maybe even people within the system because it was public what you were doing. I, like, we all watched you get just so fucking gaslit by the media, which is such an unusual thing to go through. And 
there's no there's no handbook for how one deals with that at such a young age. Yeah. Um, will you talk to me? Because I feel like that's when we first started reconnecting is when I started talking about media gaslighting and the abusive way that we talk about women who put their head above the parapet and speak back against patriarchy. We decide to take them and make an example out of them yeah. to, to like sort of drag them across the coals to not just teach them a lesson, but to also kind of try and signal to other specifically women, <laughs> don't speak up because this is what you're signing up for. It's a really scary thing to be used as a direct threat, not just yourself, but to all women everywhere. Can you talk to me a bit about what your experience was when this whole thing came to light? In my experience, the greatest offense there is against women specifically that come forward or speak up about any sort of injustice against them um, is to say that they're crazy. It just, I mean, it's a tale as old as time. I mean, it's historical, like, uh, and it still goes on today and, and it, it just takes different forms. Um, and it, it was just, I, 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 social media for me is a, a clearly a double-edged sword, um, for a number of reasons, but I did, I, I, I could notice the trends and the patterns very clearly on something like Twitter, because you can, you start to see the through line. And I could just see this through line of when, whenever I, I spoke up about something that it was taken and twisted and to make me sound unhinged and crazy and angry specifically. Yeah, um, and because if, if, in hysterical, because if a woman is angry, the, angry, then clearly <laughs> we shouldn't listen to her because she's yeah. out of control and overly emotional. And, um, you know, but it's also, uh, there's a term for that. It's called reactive abuse. And it's, uh, when you purposely push somebody, uh, to the point where they react strongly against the, you know, the injustice or against the abuse or against the violation. And they, uh, if they aren't prepared, have a big reaction. And then you can go, Oh my God, look at, look at how they're reacting. Look at how crazy they are. All I said was this. I didn't look at them, you know, and it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, part of the manipulation um and it's I've just never heard that fucking term before reactive abuse yeah yeah you get somebody to give you a big reaction so that you can say that they're not oh, trustworthy fuck. <laughs> yeah fuck <laughs> but we do it a lot with women and on you know other i mean that's a whole other like topic I about know, society like, at large I've, but i've really only just found meds so that's really annoying like now i just you know when it's happening i just take some meds but you know i didn't have I didn't have meds until like two years ago. I've, I'm such an easy mark because I'm so like open and vulnerable. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> the amount of times, the idea that that's happened deliberately, but honestly turned, like just turned my stomach. That's yeah. crazy. It's like a covert tech, you know, uh, people that have come, come up against covert narcissists know it really well because coverts are... So, okay, explain what that is. Uh, I don't so know. a narcissistic kind of personality, uh, normally the traits are somebody that are very grandiose. They have like, uh, 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 you know, they think very highly of themselves. Their egos are very large and they, and they flaunt it. They're like the center of attention. Now, a covert narcissist really um, can come across quite shy and quite, quite reserved and very calm. Um, but they are doing 
a lot of the well, same I mean, things. They pretend to be shy and all it, this kind of different it, shit. Yeah, right? yeah. They it's, pretend to be withdrawn and private, but it, it's false modesty. Um, and but really, they still think that they are the center of 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 the world and cannot put themselves in other people's shoes. You know, aren't accountable to their behavior, have selective memory, will ignore you, will you know d- do all these things that are non-violent physically, but emotionally are are quite violent. Um, like kind of hot and cold and mm-hmm, push pull and really yeah. the silent treatment, you know, just, just, uh, telling you that you just don't matter, you know, not giving you anything. I don't even really want to say his name. Uh, cause I just don't think you ever need to hear his name again, <laughs> other than when you absolutely <laughs> have to, but this, um, this person, uh, specifically dated people quite a lot younger than him, which makes that push and pull, technique um easier to impact someone else because when you have someone maybe who's a bit older a bit wiser a bit more of the world they can recognize that oh you know what actually this is just really toxic whereas Mm -hmm. younger people and I remember this you know from my own youth just being like if someone pulled away from me my natural instinct especially because of you know my childhood would just be to run towards them you know I would I would I would panic and I would feel like I need them and Mm -hmm. they would have taught me that I needed them um, mm. and I would, I, I would always succumb very quickly to the silent treatment. Even now I'm still like a little bit susceptible to it. Sure. Like, my boyfriend never shuts the fuck up. So, and neither do I, <laughs> so we're both incapable <laughs> of it. Um, but, uh, I, that's another like quite typical uh, trait is finding someone who might be younger than you or in some way more vulnerable than you. Yeah. And well, that's normally the, why, uh, why they're targeted because they are vulnerable. They haven't had you know, you can be a very, very smart teenager and precocious and wise beyond your years, but you still have not lived enough life just experience wise to be able to uh, defend yourself and spot certain things, which is why the majority of domestic violence crimes happen between the ages of 16 and 24. That's when you're most vulnerable. It's when you're a child in an adult body. And a lot of people uh, bring up the fact that uh, when I was dating, uh, when I started dating Brian, I was 18 and people mm. go, well, that's legally an adult. So, you know, that's oh, like you don't know fuck all at 18. I really think I, and I'm like, I mean, I, well, yeah, sure. 30, I think 30 is the age. I don't think you're an adult until you're 30. If I were president, I would move that age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, you're legally an adult. Sure. But you've yeah. lived no life as an adult. Like mm-hmm. you've only lived a life as a child. Like you're just starting your adult life. And so it's like, sure, on a technicality, but at the end of the day, the only reference I have is is a child brain, you know, not an adult brain. Yeah, so. exactly. And and he was much older than you are, which immediately puts you on the back foot because then yes. you're just kind of made to feel like, ah, silly child. You don't it, know that this is normal. This is actually better than most situations. Yeah. You're so lucky. All these kind of different, you know, techniques sure. that are utilized. Mm-hmm. And, and so I don't know if this was your situation, but like there's so much love bombing at first. So oh, yeah. there's always that Terry Crews quote that goes around in my head, which is like, give her two good weeks and she'll spend three years chasing that two good weeks. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that is a like, horrifying uh, truth. Yeah. Um, that works. But. It's a push-pull dynamic and uh, it happens in abusive relationships and it actually creates a chemical dependence 
because it's, it's, you get a rush of oxytocin and then it's taken away and then a rush of oxytocin is taken away. And so you're chasing a high essentially. And it creates a dependency, like very similar to being addicted to a drug where you're chasing that hit where things are good. Um, and, uh, that's why, you know, another thing that people don't understand about these dynamics is it's not, it's not always obvious and, and there are good times and there are, they do say sweet things and you have fun and then something happens and you're shocked and, and, and you're wondering, oh God, what did I do? What happened today? Like, how can I stop this from ever happening again? So I can hold on to the good times. And then your, your existence becomes walking on eggshells, which is the phrase, which is you're just trying to avoid that explosion. And of course you can't, and it will never be enough. And there will always be another explosion, but it will always be your responsibility to sort of like fix it and, and, Mm. and, and avoid it. And that's how your sense of self starts to get eroded because you're not able to just be, you're not able to relax and just be yourself. You're having to think about everything that you're doing and what could possibly set this person off. And that's how you start to lose who you are, you know, and you Mm -hmm. you just become a, you know, a vessel for this, this person and a, and a punching bag essentially. Yeah. And you don't live a life of action. It's just a life of reaction. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, anticipation. anticipation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And also, you know, and I, again, you know, I was saying that I grew up in a, you know, well, experiencing or seeing um violence so did you and Mm -hmm. so I wonder if you know you having grown up with parents who had a really volatile marriage in front of you and something that was really interesting was reading the fact that at one point your father I believe sat you down and Mm -hmm. said you know this is what people do when they love each other very much Mm -hmm. which is such I mean it's conditioning we've all heard before and of course is is such dangerous um, it's such a dangerous line of thought, but, um, was there a part of you that when it happened again, when you were older, that feeling of reacting and being on eggshells, did that feel kind of, I don't know, comfortingly familiar? Yeah. Uncomfortable and comfortable. Does that make sense? Yeah. We unconsciously go towards things that are familiar. And if we haven't healed these things with our parents, then usually we'll gravitate towards partners where we can relive the wounds with our parents. Um, and it does, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's familiarity and it's pathology. And, um, I have so much compassion, more compassion for my parents now, especially that I am a parent and I, you know, I know it's been hard for them to sort of be exposed in this way and go through this process. But I, I, I try to remind them that it's not about blame really, but more just accountability and understanding the pathologies and how we get here and the things that are passed on. And, you know, it's, it's important to understand like the generation my father grew up in, no one talked about anything. Going to therapy was shameful. You know, there was something wrong with you if you did that. You know, mm. people didn't get divorced. People didn't. It was very, so many things were swept under the rug. Yeah, and you're so, trapped. Now you're trapped. Yeah, you're trapped. And and like, that's the world that you're raised in while your brain is forming and you're becoming a man, you know. And so, of course, you're going to grow up and see your daughter scared and think, uh, how can I just like make this go away in like the nicest way possible? And I'm, you know, and we weren't really taught to have real honest conversations with our children about their feelings at that point. It was more just like, everything's fine. Go to bed. Like we love each other. And so it's like, I understand the reasoning, 
you know, in his brain at that moment. But of course, it's these these things that we pass on that we don't mean to, which to me is the most heartbreaking part about being a parent is just knowing that there are certain things you are not going to be able to help because this is all you know, and you can't give what you don't have. And um, there are people that can spot it and break the cycle. And I can sit here and go, oh my God, like, of course, I, 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 I chose somebody that, that, or, you know, felt I was choosing somebody that made me constantly have to prove my love for them and chase them because like my dad wasn't really around and I have a father wound and, you know, I wanted validation and I wanted love from him that I didn't get. And so of course an older man comes around and says, Mm -hmm. I love you. You're special. And it's going to hit you right in that wounded place that didn't get love when you were a kid. And it's going to feel fucking fantastic Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the beginning, you know, but you know, that it it gets used against you, you know? And so it's like, it's, it's that self-awareness that I feel like we have to teach people now to understand, like, if you're in pain now, or if you're in a relationship where you're feeling something, you know, think about the first time you, somebody made you feel that way, you know, think about, are, is this a pattern that I'm repeating? Like, where has this shown up elsewhere in my life? How did I earn love as a child? How did I lose love as a child? How is this informing my present relationships? Like, this is stuff that I'm super nerdy about and fascinated about now. No, oh my God. I mean, you literally are in the right place because this is, you know, the kind of the obsession of this podcast. My obsession is understanding my brain, understanding how I've arrived at where I am and then figuring out how to get out. Yeah. You know, and I guess that's like, it's a very vulnerable journey that I'm on with lots and lots and lots of people who are also on a similar journey and we're all just trying to you know figure this out and the reason that I have people like you come on is that you know we want the nerds because the nerds are the people <laughs> who've done the work so we don't yeah. have to <laughs> yeah uh and so it's great to learn this stuff you've you've blown my balls off like three times already with <laughs> shit where I'm just like oh that's what that's called that's what that's called I know there's names for these things it's terrifying yeah <laughs> it is terrifying I have so much more reading to do and so much <laughs> learning to do we all do is there such a thing as a traveler not a delta because we know on one flight Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality so we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. While on the flight after, 8C is occupied by Jen, whose favorite snack is tea. That's why we provide fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members. Because at Delta, we know. Refill? Everyone flies their own way. Delta. Keep climbing. Free Wi-Fi available on most domestic flights. Terms of use apply. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispy from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispy, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Thank you. 
Um, has oh my God? So when did you start learning all of this sort of stuff? Was this like straight afterwards? Like how how soon after getting out of that violent relationship did you like what's what state were you in after that relationship? Did you feel okay because you were in shock? Like did you um, I was, did you take a huge dip? You know? um, I was so happy to be out mm-hmm. that I. Uh, I just shoved it all down and just wanted to forget like it had ever happened because the last thing you want to do when you're finally out of a nightmare is to sit there and study it and relive it for years. I was like, I just want to go hang out with my friends. I want to go to Disneyland. I want to dance. I want to do, I want joy again. You know, it just. How old were you at this point? Uh, 23. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I had already, you know, been in a mental health facility and, uh, had suicidal att- uh, suicide attempts and suicidal thoughts. And so I, I had, I had hit rock bottom and I was starting to rebuild my life again. And so I just wanted laughter. I just wanted joy. And I thought I was going to find all my healing sort of there. And, and I thought I was going to go to my grave with everything that had happened. And I had also just had not been out long enough to see through all the gaslighting and manipulation and the grooming that had happened. I think I was still it was just a bad relationship. Yeah. And I, and I think I had, I'd really internalized uh, the things that people had projected onto me of like, well, she's fucking crazy. Like, look at what she's doing. What's wrong with her? Like all these things. And so I think I internalized that as, yeah, I guess I was just, we were both fucked up. There was something that That's was really wrong with me. Yeah. Like I just, Rather I just, than, I yeah, deserved this. this. Me up. Yeah. I thought I deserved it. Um, and so I, I, I then took that with me into my next relationship where I felt completely unworthy. I was lucky to have somebody, you know, take me back after I had been so awful, you know, and, um, and I, I, I think, um, didn't didn't realize I had so much work to do until I tried to have another relationship and I realized that like I I intimacy was really hard like I I, I would just close my eyes and and disconnect you know and, and I thought that was odd and then I was like oh my chronic pain like all over my body like I just felt I felt like 80 years old and then I would wake up screaming you know, and I, or, you know, I would have these crazy night terrors or, you know, I couldn't sleep. I could, you know, all these things started to pour into my life. I could go on and on and on. Um, but I also realized that I, I had lived in this really toxic way of being and way of having a relationship for so long that I was just falling into the same patterns that I had developed in an abusive situation, which, you know, a lot of it is like just telling people what they want to hear so that you don't get hurt. And so, you know, suddenly I was trying to be with people that weren't going to physically harm me, but my brain, you know, is still in the fight or flight mode. It's still programmed to think like, oh, telling the truth is really dangerous. So just, you know, if they confront you with anything, just like tell them what you want to hear, be defensive, like just, you know, make up some story. Thank God you weren't in an industry that also thrived on perpetuating that, you know, like just <laughs> exactly <laughs> just be a good girl, shut the fuck up. Don't be difficult. If anyone's creepy with you, don't say anything. Just people pleasing. Um, otherwise you'll lose a job if you don't, you know, you'll be run out of town. Total people pleaser. Yeah. Um, it was just safer that way. And then, and, and, you know, and in doing so, I could tell I was really, 
confusing and, and, and hurting the people that I loved. And I, and I stopped one day and just was like, this isn't me. I don't know why I'm doing this. Like, I How don't want to be point? this person. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe 24. It's right. probably like a year later. And I just thought like, I don't, I don't want to want to be this person. Cause I could, I could feel myself un- starting to repeat things that have been done to me because by people pleasing and telling people what they want to hear, you're kind of gaslighting them, you know? Yeah. And like, that's, and this is how the cycle starts, you mm-hmm. know? And so I was like, oh, no, 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 no. Like, I'm not going to do this. Like, I can't do this. Uh, and so I, I put myself, I, I had enough self-awareness and desire to get help that I immediately put myself in a therapy to try to undo these unhealthy coping mechanisms and patterns. And then I did the work. Um, mainly because I really didn't want to lose the person that I was with. I was like trying to fix myself so that I could, you know, I, I, I could, I could save my marriage essentially. Um, you know, and eventually we, we ended up separating anyway, but I had started this journey into healing that I continued on after we split up and, you know, it, it, it was a shame that we couldn't stay together, but I also felt like, I don't know if I would have been able to reach the levels of healing that I did had I stayed married. You know, it was like... Because you have to compromise like so much so of yourself much. and so much of your own kind of freedom. And you can't... It's like I'm, I had a complete nervous breakdown at 26 and it was fucking messy as shit. And I would have been too self-conscious to... F- like, And that's a shame. And, you know, if you're with someone and you feel like you just need to kind of hit that rock bottom and do that that healing you can but it's definitely easier to do it with a support network but preferably with space to yeah. kind of just you know I mean I it's really messy close, but I didn't I don't think I brushed my teeth for like three months and I was like it's no one messy. should have gone near me no one should have let me breathe near them it was a fucking <laughs> scummy time um but yeah. uh yeah I needed to recover after therapy sessions and and you get worse sometimes before you get better. I don't know if that happened exactly. to you, but you know, with yeah. all of that stuff. So it's like a, you know, it's like your brain is detoxing and all the shit is coming out. Yeah. Cause it's got to go somewhere and it's either going to get buried inside of you mm-hmm. and fester and then come out in these unhealthy coping mechanisms, whether it's addiction, whether it's narcissism, OCD, like, you know, it's these things that are a lot of times, you know, wounds and unchecked trauma that hasn't been, processed properly, you know, uh, anger, rage, all of these things. Like, I think what really surprised me after, um, starting therapy and starting to unpack the things that had happened to me and the trauma was the rage. I didn't expect to feel that I've never been an angry person. It's probably one of the reasons why (laughs) I, uh, I, uh, I, 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 I don't, I don't know, like had, I don't want to say like, I hate this idea that like, oh, well, you were a people pleaser. That's why you got abused. And it's like, no, but like, it's also maybe like part of my pathology and part of the things that maybe would have kept me in a bad situation for a little too long. It's not my fault, but it it, it would be an obstacle that I would have to overcome. Um, I don't think that's to do with you being a happy person. I yeah. think you being a happy person just makes, you know, if you're a, a sort of light person, then then people who have a lot of darkness in them are more drawn to you. Yeah. And, um, and the darker and unfriendlier I have become, the less people are drawn to me. And it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I would say it's more so the fact that 
at a young age, I mean, I don't know, and also it's not my place to say, but it would be my theory that at a young age, if you're exposed to domestic um, emotional violence, etc., um, that it's so hyper-normalized that you didn't flinch the way that someone who hadn't grown up like that would have upon mm. something really toxic sure. or scary happening. You know, it's like, and, and you value yourself when you're young of being like, I'm strong, I can take it. Exactly. I was with someone super abusive when I was younger and I, and I, there was a part of my brain that I now look back on and I'm just like, oh, you stupid girl. Uh, that was like... Innocent girl. Yeah, yeah. innocent girl. Yeah, totally. <laughs> where I'm just like, but I thought I was like, I thought I'd like, I thought a lot of myself for the fact that I could take it. It's like, I can take it because I understand why he's like this. So I'm going to, I'm going to help him and I know how to help yeah. him. I'll guide him through and I can, I can just, I can take it all on my shoulders. Like I thought that was something to be so proud of. Yeah. And I shouldn't be ashamed of it, but I also like, fucking hell, the amount of more fun I could have had and like less damage that could have been done. (laughs) I know. Um, I know. I think about my early 20s and I'm like, oh, that was supposed to be my time. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And so the the mental, it's so individual for everyone who goes through this, but what was your mental health journey like? coming out of that like you go through the therapy you get angry mm-hmm. and then how does like how did you climb out of all of that anger the, and that pain and like those lost years the anger came after the self-hatred honestly like the first thing was just total and utter self-hatred when I came out of the abusive situation and I could not even look at myself in the mirror without seeing a monster. I mean, I had like body dysmorphia. I really couldn't God. even look at myself. Um, and, and, um, and I know it was really upsetting for my partners to watch me go through and, and, you know, they had tried to help me through it, but you know, I just, I was so mean to myself. Um, and I had done a lot of therapy and, uh, you know, it wasn't working and, and, I mean, I guess you have to find what works for you. But the crazy thing is the thing that made my body dysmorphia go away was Reiki. I don't know if anybody listening knows what that is, but it's en- it's energy work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, like somebody recommended it to me and I thought, oh, I don't know, like maybe I'll try anything at this point. And I thought, you know, I didn't really know what to expect. And I thought either way, I'll probably just lay down on a table and get a nap and like, it's fine. It'll be like a little massage. And I... I was shocked at, at what they were able to do for me and what I felt during the session and like how weepy I got and, and how cradled I felt. And then I swear to God, I, I, it's just not come back. Um, it's like they, they rewired my energy, uh, or cleared something or did something or it's placebo. I don't know, but whatever it is, it worked. And, and I, and I haven't had, um, the same kind of issues. I mean, you know, granted, like we all have days where we're like, I'm just not feeling myself today. And that's mm-hmm. very normal. Like there's no, you know, you're never going to just be like totally happy with yourself all the time. I feel like, but, but it wasn't at the level that it was where it was like, it was, it would make me cry just to look at myself in the mirror. Like, I mean that, and that, that's so sad to me. So then, yeah, it was like self-hatred and then. I had to get past like the disassociation because mm-hmm. I didn't know what that was. And that was really scary um, because I had lived 
four years with this person completely disassociating from reality and from myself and from my body. And then when I got out, I didn't know how to get back in. And I started being very scared because I couldn't, I couldn't be present in my life. It was like, I was looking at my life through a pane of glass that I couldn't get through. And then that made my anxiety worse, you know, (laughs) just like, like it's a snowball effect. Totally, totally. So it's like you uncover one thing and then you uncover another. It's like another door, another door, another door, right? And I think that's true of people who don't even, you know, go through what you've gone through. That's also just like a part of growing up which is really intense. And so how long ago did you have a baby? Uh, Almost nine years ago. Yeah. So you have like a full, you've got a full kind of, it was an adult according to the media, (laughs) right? (laughs) That's a sentient adult. Uh Uh, Kind of old, actually. (laughs) You have a pensioner in your house. Exactly. Um. How the fuck did you, how did you, how have you done this? How have you done this? How have you managed to uh, go through all of that healing and then also take on motherhood? Did you, did you feel like that was something that kind of saved you and centered you and stopped you from ever doing something incredibly self-destructive? Or- yeah. Yeah. And it, 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 I mean, my child is a hero to me and they don't even know it um, because they, they've been through this with me. You know, they, they may not always know what's going on, but mm. they're so perceptive and sensitive. And, you know, I'm, I, I, of course, I feel bad that you know, when they were born, I was enveloped in so much grief. And, mm. and so I was parenting through grief. Uh, I was a single mom, you know, I was on my own with, with them, by uh, by the time they were a year old. And so, you know, I've always felt like I was kind of doing it by myself and, you know, with not, with, I'm trying to be really nice to my parents. <laughs> I didn't always have they like, do love ex- my podcast, so you've got to be careful. They're big fans. But you know, like I, I I didn't always have an example of what to do. And um, you know, I was really kind of like learning as I went along with them. Um, but in parenting them and seeing it's I mean, their children are just like such a gift because they will mirror like anything back to you, you know, the good and the bad. And so Mm. it's like the ultimate therapy exercise where you cannot run from your shit because it'll, it'll just go to them, you know? And then it comes back to you and you're like, why are you acting like this? It's like, they're acting like this because of you and your shit. Um, And so if you want them to be okay, you have to be okay. And not just in a, I'm pretending like everything is fine kind of way. Like you have to demonstrate and model for them how to process, you know, and, 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 and to humble yourself. And, you know, when you do make a misstep, I, you know, I let my child know and I'll say, Hey, you know what? Like that was not about you. And like, I'm, I'm, I'm very stressed. I'm very tired. And just know, like, you know, because, because, all parents have a moment where, you know, you're, you're, you're stressed and, you, you know, fucking you, snap. Yeah, you yeah, fucking lose your cool. Right. And, but it's how you repair that. And it's how you, 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 
talk to them and tell them what's going on and teach them how to repair, teach them what's okay, teach them what's not, you know, not just teach like them how to be accountable more than how anything to be accountable. else. Like- and because I've done that, they'll sometimes have a moment where they get stressed and overwhelmed and they'll lash out at me. And then I'm like, Oh God. And then they'll come back and be like, Hey mom, man, I'm really sorry. Like it was a rough day at school. And like, I love you so much. And like, like, Oh my God, you're eight. And you're already like able to kind of like talk through your feelings and, and be accountable and to not, you know, dig your heels in when you feel like you've maybe, you know, not regulated your emotions in a, in a, in a healthy way. Cause you know, most, most people will just like lash out and then they're like, no, if I, if I admit to like being wrong, then that means I'm weak and I'm my lost. Authority I, my I lose power, my authority. Yeah. Totally. But I, I, I think it's, it's kind of the opposite. But anyway, I kind of like went off on a tangent, but yes, my child, my child has informed so much of, of my healing. And I feel bad because that's not, you know, their responsibility, but it is part of the parent-child relationship. We all do it. And they're there to teach us, I think, more than we're even there to teach them sometimes. Like, you know, it's all just how we model for them. That's so important. Yeah. And I feel like it's such a, it's a weird, interesting, I'm not going to say gift, but, you know, when you grow up with things that your parents didn't know how to do differently, but you've now you've come up in the age of information, you know, that's how I would describe this. And you have all this, you know, when you can't reach a therapist, Mm -hmm. you can still see a web (laughs) MD. You can still, but you know what I mean? Like you can read the blogs of other people who've had similar experiences. You can reach out to people and you have just more access to understanding to the terminology. And so I think that that's really brilliant that you're able to then pass that on and share that. And I don't think that is a disrespect to your parents. Like, you know, you've already touched on the ways in which they were disadvantaged and it's been a huge, huge part of my shift in the last few years just to be like, okay, all right, everyone was doing their best under yeah. their circumstances. And if they knew what I know now, things would have been different. Exactly. And it's the same as it's going to be the same when my child gets older. There's going to be yeah. a million things that they're going to have a lot of notes for me, you know, and that's, and that's for them to, you know, if they decide to be a parent or however they choose to, you know, walk through their life, they can take that with them and go, okay, here's the things that I really loved. And here's the things that really didn't serve me. And let's do it differently this time. I mean, that's literally evolution. You know, it's just like, we can only do a little better, a little better than our parents, you know? And, and there were also things that I, I got to heal with my parents by having children, because when you do see yourself start to unconsciously slip back into patterns that your parents had, you understand them a lot more and you go, oh my God, like that's what was going on with them internally. And now I can see it and now I can stop it. You know, now, 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 now I, I, I'm, you know, it's those moments where you're like, oh, I just sounded just like my mother. I just sounded just like my father. And I always said I never would. And it's like, that happens because it's in our DNA and it's, it's, uh, you know, we, I remember saying I would do things differently when I had kids, but I didn't really mm-hmm. necessarily think about what those different things would be or what yeah, I would replace so, things with so when I took true. them out. And and so I did have these moments of like, wait, I said I would do it differently, but I actually don't know how to do it different. And so I'm going to really have to work at this. Yeah. (laughs) At Delta, we know Mike NHC prefers reality TV to reality. 
so we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. On the next flight, 8C is Mandy, a foodie, so we offer all types of food options. Because at Delta, everyone flies their own way. Delta, keep climbing. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispie from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispie, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, speaking of the future, will you talk to me about what you're doing now that we can all watch and support and learn about? Well, uh, definitely, um, you know, the, the documentary that's just come out, Phoenix Rising, um, is a, it, to me, it is just sort of scratching the surface because there's so much, uh, you know, involved with this issue, but it's a very good jumping off point. Um, and it's just, we, we, well, you know, for instance, like, why don't people just leave that question? It's such a privileged question because you're mm. assuming that everybody has a place to go and not everybody has a place to go. Not everybody has the resources. Not everybody has the money yeah, just to just to leave or move out. Or, you know, if you have kids involved that are tangled with the person that's abusing you, it's even more horrifying. And family court for domestic violence survivors is there's so much, so much work to do there. Um, but so I'm going to continue my advocacy where I can continue to try to pass legislation like the Phoenix Act. There was, um, there were so many provisions that we had in the bill that got cut on the floor. Um, and we were all very confused by that. You can see it in the, in, in the, yeah. in the documentary, but, but we had things like if three or more women come forward about the same person that could extend the statute of limitations, of course, if control is involved, which is sort of what you're speaking about, like this way that people can be literally kept prisoner in their own homes. Mm-hmm. Um, and will you uh, actually will you elaborate on coercive describe, control? Because I yeah. think it's fascinating and and really amazing that it's being acknowledged in courts. Like they passed it in the United Kingdom as well. Like it's yes. starting to kind of spread around the world that that this is also like a recognized now form of abuse where you don't have to come in anymore with the bruises. Yes, that now there are. So will you just, will you just elaborate that? On that because- Part of the work that uh, um, advocates do for domestic violence is try to stop the violence before it starts. Like uh, they focus so much on prevention because right now there is not a lot that the police or the courts can do unless your arm is broken or you're half dead. Um, and by then some, usually it's too late. And because, um, so much of what happens in these situations is, is, is textbook. It's really like psychology that's been going on for so long that it's quite easy to like track and break it down. So there are precursors to violence and, and, you know, the people have done enough work and enough studies on this, that there are ways to sort of track these precursors to violence and how, um, so coercive control is sort of like the nonviolent forms of domestic violence, but it's also a way that somebody's civil liberties can slowly be be stripped from them until they're trapped. That could be like, oh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna pay for everything. You don't have to worry about anything. Like, you know, I'm just gonna take control of the finances. And it's like, you know, I don't really like you hanging out with with your friends or like your parents right now. So I'm just gonna like isolate you from them. And then it's like, oh, you know, I don't like uh, the way you're dressing or like blah blah blah. And then like. 
it's like the lobster slowly boiling in the pot. Um, you know, I'm going to threaten you. I'm going to lay a hand on you, but I'm going to punch a hole in this wall or I'm going to threaten you. I'm going to scare you. So you're going to be afraid to say no to me. And therefore, you know, consent kind of goes out the window if you're afraid to say no. Um, and so there's all these ways that somebody sort of slowly strips you of your rights. And then once you're stripped of all of that, once you've been threatened, once somebody's taking control of the finances, once they've isolated you from your friends and family, all of a sudden, like, you're, it's easier to stay. It's, it, it, it's easier to, to stay, to be trapped. And then it's easier to be physically abusive. And so normally somebody will trap you and then become physically abusive. Mm. Um, and that's why a lot of times it escalates from coercive control to full on physical violence. And so, the work that people have been doing to define coercive control is incredible because for so long, I think the courts and, and people were very concerned about defining emotional violence because, oh, well, what does that mean if some if you call somebody stupid, are they going to get arrested? And it's like, no, but if somebody is using all of these tactics to sort of trap you and and keep you somewhere and keep you prisoner in your own home, that's a very different story. And so it's good to know the distinction between the two. It's, it's massive what you're doing and it's a huge service to other people and your life would have been much more peaceful processing this privately and what you've done is hopefully <laughs> uh, remove someone really dangerous from being able to do this again to someone. Yeah, that's the main goal. And you've also sent out a signal for like a, a signal to the entire industry in a really important time, even though you got shut down by the you know the media at times and gaslit, you have sent out a warning shot to everyone that just because you're powerful, or talented, or wealthy, you can't get away with this shit forever. Yeah, and you you can't break people even through everything you went even through everything that you endured you were able to find the strength to be able to do this. And it is definitely, you know, as someone who has a lot of friends in the music industry, what you've done is definitely sent shockwaves through the industry in a way that's incredibly fucking powerful. And that's why everyone was so afraid of you. And that's why, you know, yeah. you only tried to destroy something you're afraid of, I've always believed. Yeah. Um, but you're a fucking hero for what you've taken on. I know it was really hard. And even bringing out this documentary must have been hard. And you must feel... Anxious yeah. that you're going to be retaliated against whenever you make these moves. Do you do you get like uh, negative reactions online from strangers who feel threatened by your work? I have had to completely disconnect from strangers right. online. I don't read anything anymore. Right. I and and I that's the best advice I give anybody going through this. And I'll have <laughs> friends and people that have you know, gone in and, and read some of the, you know, nasty things that people are saying about me and they'll, they'll come and they'll be like, can you believe that this person was saying this? And I'll go, no, I didn't know that that was being said. I don't, I don't, mm -hmm. I don't want it in my energy. I don't want it in my psyche. Like I don't, because even though, you know, you know, the truth, it, it can still hurt. And, and, um, I just don't, I just don't invite it in anymore. I just don't want to even know what's being yeah. said. I, I love that. I love that self-preservation. Now we've spoken a lot about the downsides and the hard parts about recovery and the hard parts about speaking out and how difficult the court is and family courts. Can you 
tell me some of the really great parts about taking the ownership back of your own fucking narrative and fighting this. I mean, if there are any, but are there like, is there a part of you that feels kind of like more autonomy and like that kind of fight back in you that someone tried to stamp out, etc.? I I feel free. And, you know, I, I, every time I've spoken out, I always have a moment where I think this could be it. This could be the end of your career. Like, you don't know how this is going to go or how this is going to be received and you could lose it all. And there was just always you know, this kind of like my freedom is just, I'm just always going to pick my freedom. I don't know. I don't know how else to exist. (laughs) My family will tell you that too. They're like, Evan's going to do whatever Evan wants to do. Like, um, and, uh, it just, it's taught me so much about myself and about others. It's brought so much attention to me and my whole family. I mean, this has been really hard for my family to go through and, and it's brought up a lot of old wounds and, you know, for them to see this happen to someone that they love. But at the same time, the healing that has been afforded to my family because we've had to talk about things, you know, we've, we've had to face things. And it's, it's taught me that you don't have to be afraid of that, that, it, you know, it's, it's, it's okay to walk through the fire and that there is another side and you don't have to stay in the victimhood forever. I think there's a, there's a part of healing where you kind of do have to stay in that. Like you have to own the, how horrible what happened to you was and how much it hurt. And then you have the decision to be a survivor, to stay a victim, you know? And like, and, 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 and I, I don't mean to say like, it's wrong to call yourself a victim or that, that that's not really what I'm saying, but it's just, it's, it's, I feel if you stay there for too long, you know, you almost get addicted to the pain. You, you get, you know, get addicted to the dysfunction. You, think, you also you lose feel hope. powerless. Yeah, it's more of like the powerlessness. Yeah, yeah you lose, you lose, you lose hope, hope that it'll ever be different. I think that's what can be really dangerous. And I've I've seen people who've done both. And I mean, really, your process is whatever your process is. And yeah, exactly. Even if right now you still feel like a victim, maybe that's later okay. you won't. But it's definitely, it's more empowering to kind of move your way through in your own time to the point where you can remember that, amazing if you're still alive mm-hmm. fucking amazing if you haven't really hurt yourself or even someone else ptsd mm-hmm. is so extreme what it does to the brain what it does to your neurochemicals and so just know that even if you are a victim of one thing you're also a fucking legend <laughs> uh just for still being it like the fact that you endured it even if you're not on top form yeah. even if you look 10 years older than you actually are like whatever the fuck is going on you're here. You're here. That exactly. Is ma- that is magical. There are people yeah. who aren't, who maybe haven't even been through what you've been through. So just be very, very fucking proud of yourself and, and, and at least just try to cling to that and remember that if you can still be here, you can really kind of achieve anything. Absolutely. And definitely, I mean, some people, uh, I've had a couple of people say, God, don't you just want to like move on? I mean, and stop talking about this and like, you know, do you want to keep doing this advocacy work forever? And it's like, you know, that's, yes. I mean, it's a part of the healing, you know, it's, uh, what is the, the saying through self-forgetting? We remember ourselves or we heal ourselves. You know, it's like the, the because I'm here and because I've gotten out and, and, and I've done these things, it's like, it, 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 it helps me help other people, you know, and, and to, 
have these discussions and to be honest about my flaws and the things I'm proud of. Um, and just to humanize ourselves as much as possible and just look for like brutal honesty. It's the it's only way we're going to get through this. And it's the only way yeah. we're going to get through this. It's the only way to heal is, is we got to start being really honest, not just with other people, but with ourselves and like see the red flags in other people, but also the red flags in ourselves, you know, and, and, and take ownership and, you know, and do the work. Like it's just, and, and, and to not be afraid to do the work. Um, and so I've, I, there have been some really beautiful things that have come out of this journey and like, oh my God, my child and I have just the most incredible relationship. And, um, I know that I've done everything I can to demonstrate to them resilience and healing. And if something terrible does happen to you, you know, that you can get through it and, and, um, that's, that's all I can hope to do is just do my best, you know, and I'm not always going to be perfect and I'm not, you know, sometimes I'm going to say the wrong thing and not get it right, but, mm -hmm. but I'm committed to, to learning, you know? Yeah. It's also kind of like, weirdly, all of this has kind of pushed you to a place of authenticity that some people might never get to because they're not like being made to confront it because they're overcoming something. So you are living this kind of free and authentic life. It's so interesting how these things kind of end up. And, and I would, I personally would rather you be less authentic and not have gone through what you've gone through. But um, just to look at the ways in which things shape us and I don't know, like can shape us in beautiful ways accidentally. Yeah. Um, it's like in spite the of gift, everything. The gift of no shame. It's yeah. like, I feel, yes, to your point, like I wish that I haven't been called every name in the book, <laughs> like, you know, from like, a, and like publicly shamed and, and have to like, just so much shame. I was shrouded in so much shame for so long, but there is a sort of freedom that comes with like, I, all oh, the worst has kind of happened. Like if I'm worried about what people think about me, you know, it's like, well, I've already had like so many, uh, terrible things said about me. So I'm not really worried about that anymore. It's like, I'm not really worried about this. I'm not really worried about that. It's like, it's all kind of happened. And so, yeah, there's this weird kind of freedom and no shame, which affords me to be able to be just incredibly authentic because when you feel like you got nothing left to lose, you know, you've reached a very dangerous level of freedom. <laughs> I was about to say, I mean, that's, that's exactly it is that when they can, when they can sense that you don't give a shit is like when they try the hardest to make you do so. Exactly. try and kind of teach you a lesson for it it's a an in a truly like unbelievable journey that you've been on and it is remarkable to be able to so quickly because I know it happened a long time ago but it's a lot you had to unpack and to have so quickly gotten yourself to a point where you can so lucidly describe the ins and outs of it the ups and downs the ways in which it's changed you for the better for the worse etc whatever it's it's really, really incredible. And as I was kind of touching on earlier, thank you for the countless people that you might have saved or be saving with your incredibly important work. Um, I really would love 
for everyone to go out and follow all of Rachel's work in this area because I think some people just know you only as this incredible actor that they love and I wish I'd had more time to be able to talk to you more about your acting that I'm completely obsessed with and have been for ages but this was a this was a more pressing subject given the documentary and given everything that is happening politically in the world right now um before you go I would just love for you to tell me what do you weigh yeah, it's like it's like how I how I how I set an example and and um you know how how I how I can help heal. I mean that's always that's like my fucking driving force. I mean that's why I became an actor is because I wanted to help people heal, you know, by by being able to see something that they connected with or reminded them of themselves or they learned something they didn't know, or they could see the world through somebody else's eyes. You know, it's like all of these things are, you know, the type of things that I bring into my advocacy work as well, you know, the empathy and the compassion and the healing and teaching, you know, through uh, vulnerability and honesty, you can help other people, you know, heal and teach them about themselves. And so, um, I don't know, that's probably that probably just, um, through healing and example and like being a mom, like, and, and not just, I'm not just a mom to my child, but bringing that kind of mother energy, like everywhere I go, I think it's important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've got it right now. It's lovely. Um, well, look, I hope I get to speak to you soon and yeah, I really hope as many people as possible see your documentary. We will do a huge push for it on this episode. And I hope that I hope that this has been a helpful episode for anyone who might be going through these things, who might have gone through these things, or who might know someone who is. Mm -hmm. This might give you a little bit of an insight into what all of that feels like and maybe some of the signs that you might be missing because it is so nuanced and it's so personal. And the more we talk about it, the more we have conversations like this, the more we see documentaries like yours, the more, I mean, the harder it will be to hide. It's because this conversation has been, because we have shamed people who've been abused for such a long time. And I I mean, I've never understood how that was even possible, how that even happened, that we managed to convince people that that's their fault or they should be ashamed. But because we've done that, we've turned it into a taboo subject and a stigmatized subject. And we've made people feel like they'll never recover from it. And so- people coming back people like you and other people have come forward to come back from that and be like I have actually recovered or I'm in recovery and now fuck you and I'm, <laughs> I'm going to fight back is something that they never saw coming and yeah. and that's how so many people have gotten away with such pervasive and constant abuse and I feel as though their days are just fucking numbered yeah well the patterns being exposed yeah the the tactics and the patterns I mean that they rely on are being exposed at least you know these like powerful serial abusers oh my god um but it's also like we got there because of the look at the history of domestic violence i mean it is so ingrained in us and in society and the the that to your point like it happens to men and women but it's never been legal to beat your husband it has been legal to beat your wife like these mm. laws reflect a time when women were considered property and if if your husband beat you then it was because you did something wrong mm. and so that's where the the mindset comes from it's just like you know slavery doesn't exist but racism clearly still does it's like you can eliminate these laws but the mentality remains and so it's like 
there was a time it was legal. The rule of thumb come, you know, that saying, well, like the rule of thumb literally comes from a rule where you could beat your wife with something that was no bigger than your thumb. Like that was, the, that was the acceptable. I've never known that. The rule of thumb. <laughs> and, you know, like we call it tank tops, wife beaters. And like, you know, these things, yeah. like it's just so flippantly done and we don't even realize it. But yes. And like spousal rape in the United States was legal until 1992. Like I was in first grade, you know, it's, that's my lifetime. So clearly we've got a lot to undo with how we think about this issue, which for so long was viewed as a private matter that is between the family that we don't get involved in. And I also hope this doesn't sound patronizing. Um, But I also want to say to anyone out there who maybe feels stupid, because I remember feeling that way when I was in it, where I was just like, or even when I was just out of it, I was like, how did I, why did I stay in that? What, how did I let that happen to me? I'm smarter than this. I must not be that smart. I must be stupid to have not just, or, or weak to have stayed in that. Hopefully you can listen to this. And, and if you do look at people like myself and Evan, like as, as I don't know, strong or, uh, impressive because that's the way that we've been in particular like displayed and you know shiny and strong and all this sort of shit the way that you know we uh are represented publicly and i think we are really strong and impressive and shiny personally as well (laughs) but if you look at us and you see everything that we have and the fact that we are both smart and emotionally skilled and we both were able to end up in that situation all kinds of different versions of some sort of uh, unhealthy relationships in our lives, please know that you you are not stupid. This can happen to anyone. Any level of protection. I was famous when it happened to me. And so were you. <laughs> like, we had people around. It's like teams of people around us who didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Or did and just didn't know what to do. Yeah. yeah. And or who did and were just hyper normalized to it and just thought, oh well, you know, she's she's with a genius. So <laughs> this is what it's like, which is not true, by the way, <laughs> in my opinion. Anyway. Uh <laughs> no. And sometimes it is the people that are smart and strong that do end up in these situations because you can be very compassionate and very empathetic. And, and good at covering it up and, and good at covering up and, and yeah. yeah, good at going, well, they're doing this because this happened to them. And so I can't, you know, well, it's like, that may be true. And a lot of times people that are hurting other people have been hurt themselves, but then they got to go, they, they've, they've got to be accountable. They've got to get help for it. We can't fix that. You know, it's like that has to come from them. hundred you know? percent. And so just don't feel, please don't. Please, please, please do anything you can to not shame yourself if you're in this situation or have ever been in this situation. It is not your bad. There is something that happens to the wiring of our brains in these situations, and we are also products of our environment. I'm not going to go on and on about it, but I just wanted to say that because I remember feeling it so intensely, and I remember you talking about you know, the amount of shame you had once it all kind of hit you. And so, yeah. Uh, Evan, fucking... I'm so happy that you came and this was this <laughs> chat too. feels like it went happened so fast. So fast, I know. It's like, I know. It's so I can't I can't believe we've gone over an hour. Um I could talk to you all day. Please come back and let yeah. me know how I can ever support you. 
Same. I'm 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 here. I'm ready to ride at dawn. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. We ride at dawn. Also, if, and please, like if anybody is in a bad situation, know that there's to get a domestic violence advocate, get somebody that can give you advice on 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 how to get out, on how to stay safe. Uh there's resources online, there's hotlines, there's numbers you can call, there's websites with quick exit buttons in case somebody walks in on you looking at something that might set them off, you know, the, um, please uh, just know that there's help out there and there's not alone and there there are resources if you're wondering what to do. 100%. Um, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, and thank I you hope too. you have a wonderful, wonderful day. Same. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Aaron Finnegan, and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson, and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. We also have a bonus series exclusively on Stitcher Premium called Ask Jamila Anything. Check it out. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the promo code IWAY. Lastly, over at IWAY, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iwaypodcast at gmail.com. And now we would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. I weigh my kindness towards others, even if I don't know them, my wonderful relationship with myself after all that I've been through and recovering from anorexia. Thank you so much. Have a great one. I love the podcast. Is there such a thing as a traveler? Not a Delta, because we know on one flight, Mike in 8C prefers reality TV to reality. So we provide more than 1,000 hours of in-flight entertainment. While on the flight after, 8C is occupied by Jen, whose favorite snack is tea. That's why we provide fast, free Delta Sync Wi-Fi available for SkyMiles members. Because at Delta, we know. Refill? Everyone flies their own way. Delta. Keep climbing. Free Wi-Fi available on most domestic flights. Terms of use apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week you know as you're bottling things up because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to and this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week you just have this complete freedom honestly I think everyone should have therapy regardless of whether they think they need it because it's so amazing to have a confidant it's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. 
Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. 